Thanks, Nate. <laughs> Sorry, I always cry when he plays that song. You know, it's when you're in the midst of the journey of life and you're dealing with issues of marriage and children and things like that, you know, you, get, you lose the perspective of the long-term um, view, the long view of things. And uh, so we started out this series on marriage back in September. And for those of you who aren't married, thank you for bearing with me. Um, this is the uh, last Sunday for right now. I know that there are more topics I've promised to deal with, with parenting and sex and things like that. I just feel like we need to take a couple of month break and uh, go focus on a couple of other things that are, are very important to us as a whole body. So that's, uh, that's what we're doing. Next week I start a series called Authentic Pursuits. Uh, we're looking at the uh, discipleship from the perspective of the book of 1 Thessalonians, one of the most special uh, churches in Paul's life. But let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, and we want to just bring ourselves before you as we look at this issue once again of perspective. And, and Father, I pray that you'd give us the courage to make the changes that need to be made, Lord, to have the perspective that you have us, that you long for us to have, so that we can make it in our marriages as moms and dads and husbands and wives. In Jesus' name, amen. That, that song that Nate wrote, I appreciate him. This morning at around 6 a.m., I texted him. I said, let's do this song. And uh, he pulled it off. Uh, it's... it's uh, really the song that we started this series off with back in September. So I thought it would be appropriate to end it with this as well. You know, looking back, the most seasoned of married couples are eagerly willing to admit that when they got married, when they got married marriage was more than what they bargained for. And I've never met anyone who has not been drilled by that fact after they've been married 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And it continues along that, uh, along that, uh, that trajectory. Um, most had no idea of what they were getting into when they made their vows. You know, and we realize, though, if we persist and if we adapt and as we change and as we grow, we realize, though, in the midst of that, that marriage will cost us more than what we ever realized. And sometimes it's more than what some people are willing to pay. But if we stay with it, you realize that marriage, if you continue to grow and if you continue to, to be transformed by the, by the gospel of Christ, that marriage can give you more than you ever imagined. After th almost 32 years, I, I stand as a testimony of that. Not because I'm a great guy or Kim's a great gal, although she is. It's just God has changed our lives through marriage. So what is it that keeps, keeps us going? What is the perspective that keeps us going? And in one word, it is this. It's covenant. It is covenant. That's not a, a word that our culture really understands very well. We don't want to view, we don't understand the term covenant. We tend to view marriage more as a contract. A contract that is rooted in the establishment of 
you the belief that you know you are marrying me, I am marrying you, but you are marrying me to make sure that you meet my needs and satisfy my desires and my expectations. As long as we are compatible, which is code for as long as you fulfill me, as long as I get from what I, what I want from you, as long as I am self-actualized, then I'll be there. But in this contract, if you don't, then you know what? We just declare it as null and void. We say, you know what, you did not meet the, the expectations of the contract, a.k.a. my hopes, my dreams. I'm no longer happy, so let's move on. Let's drop this, this thing and let's move forward with someone else. What that really reveals is that we have an attitude towards relationship is that they are nothing really more than a commodity to be used. The commodification of these relationships. And that is that we use them to somehow self-actualize, to somehow make ourselves more happy. Which is really the essence of sin, right? Romans 1, they denied God and made themselves God for their own ends, their own desires. Fulfillment of my desires becomes my top priority. However, marriage is in no way a civil contract. That, is, that may be what our, our understanding that the culture is adopting, but that is not what God ever intended marriage to be. Marriage, instead, is a divine covenant. It's a divine covenant. Paul at the very, recounts the very first wedding in Ephesians 5 when he says this, For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, that word united is a covenant term. It means to be bound together spiritually, bound together emotionally, bound together legally. It's a binding that takes place. A bonding, not a binding, a bonding that takes place. Sometimes it feels like a binding. But he says it's not intended to be a binding, it's intended to be a bonding time. And as a result of this, they will... Not maybe, not might, but they will become one flesh. This, Paul writes, is a profound mystery. I don't get it. It's far deeper than what I can understand. It's unlike any other relationship. There's no other relationship on earth of which this is said. This divine covenant bonds us together. And this bonding that happens is the result of the divine, creative, imaginative work of God. He does something within us that unites two, two separate individuals who were as separate as the East is from the West and when they come together under the covenant, the divine covenant of marriage, He takes and He begins to intertwine their lives in ways that we can't even understand. That's beyond our capacity to understand. It is the product, the outcome of the very work of God. That's how profound it is. Didn't the Lord make them one, Jesus said. In Malachi, or not Jesus, but God said in Malachi 2, didn't the Lord God make you one with your wife? Make you one. The Lord God did this through His energizing power. And again in Matthew 19, 
Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And what God has joined together is not this person is God's will for you. It is not that kind of joining together where He's playing divine matchmaker. It is the actual joining together a body, soul, and spirit of two separate individuals under the hand and the power of God. That's why this union, this bonding, is symbolized. It's natural expression that symbolizes this bonding is that of the sexual union. Where two people come together and they bond together in a way under the covenant of marriage that otherwise cannot take place. That's why sex outside of marriage is so meaningless. It has no context in which to reflect its purpose. Sexual union between a man and a woman is a reflection of a deeper reality that we can't understand that is the result of the very work of God. Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant. And that's why we need to make sure that we bond together with those who are of like mind and like faith like heart, like pursuit. Because when two people come together who have different ideas of God and reality, even though I may feel that, 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 that feeling deep down inside, if it's not rooted and established in the covenant of God in a common faith, a common purpose, a common direction, then it's, it, the tensions are too great for it to be able to experience the fulfillment and the fullness that the covenant designed, designed it to experience. This covenant bonds us together and it's the result of the creative and imaginative work of God. And sharing vows is what ratifies this work of God. It's what ratifies this covenant. Vows, what are they? Vows are those statements that we make that describe the kind of person that I choose to bring to the table in the good times, in the bad times, in the pleasurable times, in the hard times. Do you solemnly agree before God and these witnesses to receive your spouse? as your lawfully wedded husband and wife, to love and to respect, to honor and to cherish, in sickness and in health, in prosperity and in adversity, leaving all others to keep yourself faithful to Him, faithful to her, for as long as you both shall live, all of those are rooted in the very nature and the very Gospel of God. They choose. We make a decision of this is the kind of person that I'm going to bring to the table by the power of God within me. Those aren't just warm and fluffy phrases that are great sentiment that express a great I hope I can do this kind of desire. But instead, these are phrases 
that commit a person to become a certain kind of person over the trajectory of their lives, regardless of what the other person is doing. It's, I choose to be this kind of person. This covenant is ratified by vows. And it's important because God intends marriage to be a mirror of the very nature of the Trinity. Two people coming together with a con- in a common community with a common commitment and a common character for the rest of their lives. Two people who come together with a common, passionate, steadfast commitment to know and be known, to share and be shared, to be willing to say, I want you to know me in the deepest parts of my being. And I want to know you in the deepest parts of your being. I want to love you in those deepest parts. I want to accept you in those deepest parts. I want to enter in with you into this life and this pursuit. That's the very essence of the Trinity. That's the very essence of the Trinity that is lived out through the incarnation or the coming of Christ in the Gospel. That's why Jesus says the church is His bride. The church is His bride. Established in covenant. Lived out for eternity. He demonstrated the role of a husband towards his wife in the incarnation in His very coming. Leaving, laying aside the glories that He had and who He was. Laying that all aside and coming alongside this group of people who would become His church. That the only way in which He could help them understand the significance of what He was doing was to call her His bride. And to living that out. That's why this is a great and profound mystery. That's why the most significant passage on marriage and community is Ephesians 5. This makes marriage glorious and mysterious all at the same time. The relational movement and motivation that Jesus demonstrated towards His church, His bride, is the same motivation and movement that a husband and a wife have towards one another. Glorious. Glorious. This marriage is a divine covenant that is far more profound than what we can experience or understand. And I think that once we begin to enter into heaven, into the presence of Christ, we will see it in a way that we never could imagine. We have never seen it before. 
that what we've experienced here is really nothing more, even amongst the best marriages, it's nothing more than just a taste of what we will one day understand it to be. It's profound. Marriage is a divine covenant. It's a divine covenant to which He calls us to pledge our allegiance. This pledge, who is, to whom is it made? It is made first to God and then to my spouse, and then to my community. (laughs) We are all involved in this. We are all witnesses when that takes place at a marriage ceremony and the ratification of the covenant through the sharing of vows. You become witnesses and you become people who in their community of faith call people, call those who are being married to to honor those vows, to fight for those vows, to be a part of the community that upholds those vows. But this pledge is first and foremost to God and then to my spouse and then to my community. But I know that some of us have often asked the question, well, what happens if I'm not happy in my marriage? What happens if if the prince that I thought I married ends up being a toad? What happens at that point in time? What do I do with that? What I do with this unhappiness that I often feel. That's what this whole series has been about. Is how do we work through those issues and how do we take and move forward through the power of the Gospel and the Holy Spirit to be shaped and be formed. But you've got to understand this one thing. Our culture says this. Actually, earlier cultures in pre-modern times the way in which one found life and meaning and uh, fulfillment in life was by committing to and fulfilling obligations. Pre-modern. As a citizen, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife. That's how you did it. That's how you did it. You ask the question, if I lived the life that I've been called to live, And if so, that's honorable. That's worthy of pursuit. That's worthy of celebrating. However, in post-Christian times today, the way in which we pursue meaning is just the opposite. It's through self-fulfillment. It says, I have the freedom, I have the choice to pursue that which makes me happy. I don't want to be under obligation to anyone or anything unless it's going to fulfill me, my dreams, my expectations. Then, I'm all in. But as soon as it ceases to do so, at that point in time, I lay it aside and I said, I'm going to go, since this is my God, my own self-fulfillment, my, the realization of my own dreams, my own hopes, my own expectations, If that is my God, then I'm going to go and I'm going to look for it wherever I can get it. Wherever I can. I don't want to be under obligation to anyone or anything or any covenant, any contract that will not fulfill it. And that's the commodification of culture. 
Well, what happens if I'm not feeling it? What happens? Do I have to remain in a marriage where I fake it till I make it or where I just pretend that I'm in love when I'm really not? When this person, in all honesty, quite honestly, annoys me. This pledge, first to God, then to my spouse, and then to community, this pledge is a promise. It's not a feeling. The essence of love itself is an action. It's not a feeling. It's like 1 Corinthians 13 that we looked at last week that Brian spoke on. All of those are choices that we make to be a certain kind of person in all circumstances. It's the kind of person that I choose to become. But Martin, I'm not sure I want to. And this is the rub. At that point in time, you've got to ask the question, well, why do I not want to? Well, it's not making me happy. Well, why is it not making me happy? Well, because, you know, fill in the blank. That's where God says, maybe you're pursuing the wrong things to make you happy. You're pursuing the wrong things to make you happy. That which makes you happy is becoming conformed by the power of gospel of the gospel to the image of Jesus Christ with the hope looking forward drawing us compelling us to look forward to the day when we will be complete with him and realizing that everything that happens between now and then is going to be at one level or another a longing not totally fulfilled Because to full, the, the fullness of what we hope for, what we long for in our future will never be realized totally until we stand with Jesus Christ. Until then, every effort, every expectation, every demand that we place upon ourselves or upon others to fulfill us, to pursue that, to make that the objective, will do nothing more than create idols within our own lives, which will then in turn demonize us. That's the essence. You've got to understand that love, the essence of love is action, it's not feeling, it's become in a certain kind of way. And love is birthed out of our pursuit of character, not self-actualization. So when I said to Kim, I choose to love you no matter what, I had no idea what I was stepping into, but I knew that it would take me places that I've never been before, and it has. Difficult places, but glorious places. Glorious places. Made a commitment to become a certain kind of person throughout the rest of my life. Five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, fifty years from now, that I would choose to become a certain kind of person that would give birth, that would allow me to live out love. Even when it's hard. Even when it's hard. You want that? 
That's the calling of the gospel. But like we talked about last week, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen without us surrendering to God and saying, God, You do a work in my life. You do a work in my life. Honoring this pledge will test us and it will change us. I love what Tim Keller said or wrote in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. One of the most profound books I've ever read on the topic. The other one which I want to read is by Paul Tripp called, What Did You Expect? (laughs) The title is worth the price of the book. But marriage is God's invention for our good and for His glory. Its purpose is to sanctify us. I would not be who I am or where I am today as a man following Jesus if it hadn't been for my marriage. God takes our selfishness in marriage and exposes it. You hear that? Exposes it. Exposes on my selfishness. Exposes my pride. Exposes my arrogance. Exposes my demandingness. It exposes it. Rips it open. And uses it. God exposes it. And then He turns around and He uses it against me. Against us. For our own good. He exposes it. Rips us open. And then He says, I'm going to use this for your own good. And I would add, for His glory. How many, how many of you found that to be true? Not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. Lamar and I had no idea. I had no idea what I was getting into when I got married. To which I say, join the crowd. Join the crowd. That's why marriage is an exercise in daily submission to Jesus Christ. To daily submission to Jesus Christ. And here's the hope. Marriage is a divine covenant to which God commits Himself. God enters into this partnership with us. He enters into this partnership with us. He says, as I reveal things, I take you down this pathway. He says, I will enter into this with you. Devote yourself to, in your marriage to Me and to the work that I long to do in each of your lives through this bonding experience. And the emphasis is on your life. Don't worry about your spouse. Just focus upon you. Otherwise, we minimize our own garbage and we magnify our spouses, right? Anybody find that to be true? Not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. But he says, commit yourself to that. Enter into that. And he said, I will empower you. I will be in this with you. This makes me at times want to say, God, okay, I'm all in. 
And then it makes me at times say, God, I'm not sure I'm all in because I'm not sure I want to go where you want to take me. But at that point, I repent. And I say, God, forgive me for living in my own rebellion. Forgive me for that. But ultimately, fulfillment, self-actualization is only found in conformity to Jesus Christ and to partnering with Him. This partnership begins with my own personal commitment to God and what He wants to do in my life first. Not what He wants to do in my wife's life, but to what He wants to do in my life first first and then God help me to be an instrument of grace in my spouse's life next but God may I never minimize my own garbage so that I magnify my spouse's garbage because at that point you begin to demonize your spouse and God says you have got the wrong focus. And you're in your own distorted reality. <laughs> you're on your own distorted reality. And it's all rooted in the Gospel. And our submitting ourselves to the, our understanding of the Gospel, our reading of the Gospel, and seeing how Christ lived out this life amongst us in our understanding of what He is committed to doing within us. That's salvation. For when Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the Gospel because it is what? What is it? The Gospel is what? It starts with a P. Power! Yeah, let's say it again. The Gospel is what? Power Is that power just to get me from here to heaven? That's not what he's talking about. The Gospel is not about saving me just for heaven. It's about preparing me and changing me right now where I am. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. This is not just eternal salvation. It is the salvation of my own life that through conformity to Jesus Christ and being conformed by Him to Jesus Christ. It is the power to change my own life. It's the power. He gives me the power to live in a way to be a certain kind of person in a way that I otherwise would not be able to be. It's the power to conform me to the image of Christ so that this is not something that I do, but this is something that I am becoming. I don't just choose to love but I actually becoming, become a loving kind of person? That's cool. It's not all just packaging. It starts on the inside. But this is also a partnership which calls us to account. For God says, when you enter into this divine covenant, I will call you to account. But Martin, I didn't know that that's what I was doing. It doesn't matter. If what you have, you call a marriage. 
God is elevating our understanding and He is calling us to live into that. So as we continue this journey, I want us to remember three simple things. First is humility. And this has been the theme throughout the beginning of this series for the last three months. And that is a willingness to say, Lord, and an awareness to say, Lord, I'm just as broken as my spouse is. Nothing is more damaging when one spouse looks at the other and says, you're more messed up than I am. That's the minimization of your own, minimalizing of your own garbage. And it's the magnifying of theirs. It's not humility, it's pride and it's arrogance. But humility, confession, where we come together and I say, honey, I am, I am more screwed up than you are. What happens if you don't believe it? <laughs> Repent from your delusion. <laughs> and then pray with and pray for your spouse. This is where you come together and you come before God and you say together, God, change me so that then you can change us. It's be willing, being willing to take and to cry out for help so you can get to where you need to be. But we are all broken together. I want us to watch a video by Casting Crowns. And it's called that, Broken Together. I think it symbolizes this very well. Broken together. 
building kingdoms and chasing dreams and left love behind. I'm praying God will help our broken hearts alive and we won't give up the fight. It's gonna take much more than promises this time. Only God can change our minds. Maybe you and I were never meant to be complete. Could we just be broken together? If you can bring your shattered dreams, and I'll bring mine, can healing still be spoken and saved? Just be broken together. If you can bring your shattered dreams, and I'll bring mine, can healing still be spoken and savored? The only way will last forever is broken. Is that true? You feel that? Is it okay to say that? Is it okay to say that to one another? We're just broken together. And we need God to take and to bring the healing, the wholeness, the health that is infused into the very nature of the divine covenant and is the product and the work of his hand. I found a quote on Facebook. I don't read very many of these. Some, most of them are silly. But it is this. A perfect marriage is too imperfect, and I would call them sinful people, but too imperfect people who, through the power and the gospel of Jesus Christ, refuse to give up on each other. Refuse. That's what we bring to the table right now as we prepare for communion because this table is a reflection of a covenant relationship that we have with Him, but He has with us, but that is worked out and mirrored in our relationships within our marriages and ultimately within this community. Same things. Same things. Jesus gave His vows 
<laughs> to use the marriage for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. Except his part goes beyond death. We live that out. He gave this to us so that we could live that out in our relationship with Him and with one another. And we remember this. For this is the rootedness of all that we've talked about. It is the soil which sustains all that we've talked about. So as you come this morning, we celebrate the Gospel and what it's done between me and us and Him, but also the pathway that it shows us with one another in our marriages and also ultimately in our community. It's a ratification of that covenant. It is a reaffirmation of that covenant. And we celebrate it, but we also realize that it's just not a call to celebrate. It's a call to move forward. It's a call to move forward in pursuing Him, becoming like Him by His power, not by our effort. So as we receive the communion elements this morning, think about those things. Celebrate those things. Celebrate them. For it's grace. It's grace. It's grace that He gives to us. It's grace that we give to ourselves and His grace that we give to our spouse, and His grace that we give to one another. Father, thank You for just what this symbolizes, the truth, Lord, that this pictures of what we have already expressed or what we have already received. Father, we thank You for Your incredible grace. May You do a work in our lives Lord, of conforming us to the image of Jesus as your disciples. And then as we seek to live that out with one another, in Jesus' name, amen.